If you've been here when I've been preaching recently, you'll be expectant, and you'll be right, that we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. If you haven't been here, then we are turning to Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, so far, we've been, looking, we've been looking for a few weeks in Hebrews where uh, we started looking at this section we're going to go back to today, last time in Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to start by reading from verse 5 through to the end of chapter 2, and then we'll uh, zoom in on what we're going to look at today. So Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. It's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honour and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I, and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So we kind of launched into this whole section uh, the last time we were looking at this, this wonderful truth that... In a way, chapter 1 has kind of looked as Jesus, the mighty Son of God. Jesus, who is in very nature God himself. He is God. And I said that we kind of get this subtle, subtle change. It's still massively focused on Jesus. But we're kind of zooming in on, this is Jesus, the man, the one who came to earth. The one who came to be a man on earth. Fully God, but fully man as well. And we see throughout this chapter, this wonderful story of Jesus restoring fallen humanity. Jesus, we looked at that last time through verse 5 to 8. What is man that you're mindful of him? And we kind of looked all the way back through. It kind of reminds us all the way back to the garden and Adam and Eve and the fall and how God made man to rule over all of creation and yet then man fell. But Jesus has come and he's restoring it. We see through this chapter, he's the victorious one. He's the victorious king, verse 9. We see Jesus now crowned with glory and honour. Also verse 14, he destroyed him who holds the power of death. 
Verse 15, looking at him being our liberator. He is the one who has rescued us. He's rescued us from the, the one, rescued us who were held in slavery by their fear of death. We also see Jesus, the one who came, who's not ashamed to call us brothers. The one who comes, the one who helps us. The one who was tempted, he suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. He's the one, we get this whole picture of Jesus, the one who came. And then, in the middle of it, we get this real focus in on God the Father. Verse 10, let's read it again. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. In the midst of all this wonderful truth about Jesus, this is still about Jesus, but there's that focus on what is the Father doing? What has the Father done? And really, today we're going to look at three things. It was fitting. What was fitting? Why was it fitting? Okay, fairly simple. We get this wonderful verse. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting. What does it mean? What does it mean? I mean, I mean, we could look at it a bit and just think, well, it just made sense. Did it just make sense? No. This word or this kind of, kind of phrase, this is talking about, it could have been translated, and it was in the, in the King James Version back in the day. Now I've got to forget what it actually was. I've written two things down. It became him, or God saw fit to, or this is what God thought was the right course of action. Do you get the subtle tweet? It's not just, uh, it was fitting, it was right. This is what God saw fit to do. We're going to look into the depths of, and the specifics of what was it that was fitting, and why exactly was it fitting? But actually, let's hear this truth. This is it. God saw fit to send his son to suffer and die that we might be saved and brought to glory. This is what he's getting, he's, he's interjected into the middle of this passage. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that he, he who, for whom and through whom all things exist. It was fitting for him. This is what he thought was right. And this is off the back of what we were looking at last time. Off the back of what we were looking at where we see this quote of Psalm 8. What is man that you're mindful of him? And all that that brought to mind, that it draws us back. I've just been saying about it. It draws us back to we were, we were made to be the ones who would rule over the rest of creation. And yet, we messed it up. We messed it up. Adam in the garden, he ate the fruit. Man fell. Since then, we've been slaves to sin. We've been lost, slaves to sin. We, We haven't lived out that glorious commission that God gave us at the beginning. 
We'd messed it up. It had all gone wrong. All had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In a sense, there's that, look at what might have been. Look at what might have been. Look at how it could have been, and yet, no. It's almost like looking at some kind of ruined castle on a hill. That you kind of see, well, it doesn't look like much now, does it? And yet, once upon a time, it must have been pretty glorious. You can imagine that it was built high and thick walls, kind of very impressive, very strong. How amazing it is, sat up on that hill. Yet now, not, not anymore. Not now. Not, no one will want to live there now. No one will want to be there. No one will want to go anywhere near it. Maybe people would look at it at interest. Oh, well, yeah, it's, a, it's interesting. But it's dead. It's not useful. It's kind of like what we were saying before. Man was meant to be glorious. But we've fallen. We're lost. And you kind of see on TV programs like Grand Designs, you'll see someone come in and they'll see this ruin on a hill. You see it on some of them. Sometimes they just go and they buy a field and they build some very generic house. And then Kevin McLeod comes in and says, Ooh, yeah, mm, this is interesting. But so occasionally, they come, I remember one in France, they come and they found this old ramshackle mansion that had kind of fallen into complete disrepair. And it was just a mess. No one wanted to live there. There was no floors. There was no anything. There was no glass in the windows. Half the walls were falling down. Yet they said, we want to build it up. We want to build it up. You're mad. All the work, the effort you're going to put into this. What are you, what? You're mad. You're going to give your life to this. And it's not much. They said, no, no. To put words in their mouth, we see fit to do this. We see fit to do this. We're going to make it great again. That's the situation God's speaking into here. There's a mess. It's a complete mess Yet God saw fit. We'll see what he saw fit. God saw fit to step in. And to be honest, it goes a little bit further than that. Because this castle or old French mansion or manor house, you can see the potential in it. Actually, they could go in and say, we see fit to do this. this. This place deserves something more than this fate that's befallen it. Well, it probably got hit by a big storm or something, and it's kind of got in this state. For what it used to be, and for... It's not really its fault. It deserves to be rebuilt. It deserves to be built up. And in a way, we can look at it and see God saw fit to send his son to suffer and die for us. And we can just get twisted slightly... And think, yeah, I'm a bit like that old mansion. I'm a bit like that old mansion. I need a bit of help, but I could be really good. I could be really great. If they put the work in, give me a bit of help, I could be incredible again. We want to justify ourselves. We want to say, that ruined house 
was the victim of circumstances. People had neglected it. Maybe the weather had battered it. Maybe in a case of a castle, an army had come and stormed it. In our case, Romans 3, 23. No, Romans 3, verse 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. And then verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God speaks in, this is what I see fit. But he's speaking into a situation to people who are guilty, vile and helpless, as the old hymn says. Guilty, vile and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. And so therefore he asked the question, full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a saviour. It was fitting. In one sense, it didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense that God's response to us messing up and us getting it wrong and us turning away from him, it was fitting to God that he would send his son to die. By God's grace, he saw fit that Christ may taste death for everyone, like it says in verse 9. By the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone and bring many sons to glory. We're going to look in the details, but drink it in. Be blown away by this again. We can hear it as, as Lydia read it out or recited it earlier, God so loved the world. We can hear it. Over, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. But just that subtle twist to, look, it was fitting to God. It's the same thing. But hear it, in a different, hear it again and just be blown away again. We can get used to God so loved. God so loved the world. No, no. God saw fit to do this. To to us guilty, vile, helpless sinners, he saw fit to send his son. He saw fit to send his son. Okay, so what specifically was fitting? This is what it goes on to say. It's this. In bringing many sons to glory that God should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Okay, now we're getting, into, we're getting into some details. God would make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Okay, author of their salvation, we can get, we can get with that one, Jesus. Okay, we can go with that. Made Jesus perfect. Ooh, now, now we're into something. Made Jesus perfect. Jesus is perfect, isn't he? Hebrews 1. Jesus is, the Son is the radiance of God's glory. It's Hebrews 1 verse 3. The exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. So what's he talking about? Verse, a chapter later, he's talking about making Jesus perfect. 
I guess the obvious answer is he's not talking about making Jesus perfect in the sense that Jesus ever wasn't perfect. Jesus has always been perfect. Jesus is the perfect son of God. Jesus is God himself. He's perfect. So what's he talking about? It was fitting that God should make Jesus, the perfect son, the perfect son of God through eternity, make him to be the perfect saviour for us. To make the author of our salvation perfect. How? Through suffering. Through suffering. To use a crude analogy, in a sense, Jesus had to get on the pitch. You could almost imagine some child prodigy football player he's going to be good he's, he can see he's got it all in him already he's got it he's got everything where's he playing no he's on the bench he's on the bench no no, no we'll keep him keep him there no he's perfect he's, he's amazing in one sense jesus had to get on the pit he had to do what he'd come to do he had to be who he'd come to be. He, if, he's, if he's the perfect, incredible footballer who's going to score a hat-trick to win the World Cup, he's got to be on the pitch for the final. He's got to be there. He's got to do it. He's got to be able to come and do what he was ordained to do, what he was, what he was meant to do. A word author could be translated pioneer or the one who made away, the one who... The one who blazed a trail. That's what it's talking about here. Jesus had to come. Jesus had to come. What, was it, what did it mean to be our perfect saviour? That Jesus had to come. He had to, be, he had to become a man. Verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. He had to come. He had to take on human flesh. This is what it's talking about. He had to come. He had to live that perfect life. Neil so wonderfully alluded to that earlier on. That whole sense of Jesus almost looking back over his life, living a perfect life. All those moments sustained by his Father, sustained by the Spirit in him. He had to come. He had to take on humanity and live a perfect life. And in doing so, succeed where Adam, succeed where we have all failed. He had to come. He had to be tempted in every way, as Hebrews 4.15 goes on to say. Yet without sin. As the end of Hebrews 2 says, that he, was, he suffered when being tempted. He, he had to come through all of that. The pioneer, blazing a trail, coming doing what we had failed to do and could not do. Jesus couldn't sit on the sidelines. He'd be perfect, but sitting on the sidelines, he couldn't be the perfect saviour. He couldn't be that just seated in glory. That's a, that's a big thing to say, just seated in glory. But he had to come. He had to step down. He had to t- come and take on humanity. Come and be the perfect man. 
to come and do what he came to do. The Father's will. John 6, verse 38. This is what Jesus says. In John 6. Again, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on that last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus knew. Jesus knew this was the Father's will, that he would come and that he would make a way. That he would make a way, but he had to come. He had to be Son of God, as a man on earth. Of course, ultimately, through suffering. He had to die. He had to die a sinner's death. It was fitting to God. Hebrews, Isaiah chapter 53 talking about, it's a big passage in Isaiah, just talks, looks forward to Jesus. The, but in a, in a particular way, it's known a passage about the suffering servant. I'm going to read from verse 4. Isaiah 53, verse 4. This is talking about Jesus. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jumping to verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. We're not going to go into that in detail, but the point is this, look... God, God saw fit to send his son to die in our place. The perfect saviour had to come and had to go to the cross. To be the perfect saviour, he had to do that. Well, see, this was the father's will. We'd messed up. It was going to send his son to die for us. It was fitting. He had to die and he had to, ra- he had to rise. He had to conquer the grave. Verse 14. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds 
the power of death. Perfect Saviour had to come and defeat the grave, had to conquer the grave, so that now we see him glorified. We see him, he's not in the grave, he's raised. Glorified. So what was fitting? What was fitting to God in seeing how we had fallen, how his people were so lost and far away? What was fitting to God? To send his son as a man to take our place, to make him to be the perfect saviour, the perfect son of God to be the perfect saviour. Taking our de- dying our death, taking our punishment. Drinking our cup. Luke twenty two forty two. Again, it's showing how Jesus submitted to the will of his father. He came to do his father's will. But what does it say? Luke twenty two forty two. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is looking into everything that it means that he's going to be the perfect saviour. He's going to take all of the rubbish, all of the sin, all of the wrath of God against sin. It's kind of symbolised by this cup, the cup of God's wrath. He's looking into it. And yeah, there's a moment where he's saying, if there's another way, take this cup away. This is how horrendous it is. But he took it. He drank it. The cup that we deserved, he drank it. Not my will, but yours, God. God saw fit for his son to take our place. Instead of that cup, we get the cup of the new covenant in his blood. We don't get the cup of wrath anymore, of God's wrath. We come to him, if we're in Christ, we get the cup of the new covenant. Poured out Jesus' blood. He paid the price. He conquered the grave. It's God's will to perfect the author of our salvation through suffering. So we see the result. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death. He reigns as the name above all names, our perfect saviour. But why exactly was it fitting? In one way, this is a very simple answer, because God saw fit. Because God saw fit, now think about that for a minute. God, this is what God decided to do. And God doesn't answer to anyone. What God wills, he does, and what he does is always good. Always, always. The writer to the Hebrews brings us back to, he is the one for whom and through whom all things exist. And he saw fit. That's why it was fitting. Because he saw fit. Because God said. Because God saw it was the right thing to do. Therefore it was. 
But what does it demonstrate to us? What do we see? Why is this what God chose to do? Why is this how he did it? We'll home in on one specific. What we see in God, in this, almost in this verse, is we see the grace of God. We see the wonderful grace of God. But at the same time, we see the, the incredible justice of God. Jesus died so that by his grace we could be saved. But then people would say, oh yeah, but why didn't, why didn't God just sweep it under the carpet? You're all sinned, but God's God, so God, God could just have dealt with it. God could just have said, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, come back. Moses sang in Deuteronomy 32. Moses sang a song towards the end of his life. This is who God is. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. And you see in Revelation before the throne, they're singing the same song. Revelation chapter 15, verse 3. They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. God is just. God does not, he cannot just turn a blind eye to our fallen state. In a way, we kind of would like it to be no, maybe we wouldn't like it to be. We could imagine it to be some kind of smash-and-grab jailbreak or it's some kind of secret mission that kind of comes in under the radar. Jesus is kind of James Bond or something. Kind of comes in, we're all locked up in the prison. We're locked up. And suddenly, in the dead of night, Jesus comes kind of squirreling in. Caution, not, kind of very secretively unlocking all the cells. Ushering us out the back door. Quick, before they notice, you're free. Actually, if it's like a prison analogy, I was reminded more of the prison break in Acts 16. Paul and Silas are in prison in Philippi. And during the night, there's this big event. All the all the cells are opened. The jailer comes in. The jailer comes in terrified. Paul and Silas pipe up. Now we're here, don't worry. We're here. In this case, the jailer comes in. Jesus pipes up. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> Our chains are gone. We are free. But Jesus is there. Jesus is there. In our place, Jesus is standing there. And he's standing there carrying something and he's carrying, bowed under the weight of it all. And we kind of sang, we sang about it earlier. All of our iniquities, all of our sins, all of the guilt and the wrath that is poured out against it, 
He's carrying it. He's there in our place. God sees fit to say, yes, yes, my wrath is satisfied. My justice has been done. We deserved it. We deserved it. God's grace says we can go free. But the price was paid. The price was paid. God's justice was done. Romans 6 talks about the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God doesn't forget the first bit. He doesn't just say, well, the gift of God is eternal life. No, it's true. The wages of sin is death. Yet Jesus has paid that price. So why was it fitting? It meant that God didn't just sweep our sin under the carpet. He didn't just say, well, I can just rebuild it again. It doesn't matter. No. The price was paid. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear the cross. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. It's incredible. So what does that mean for us? Very quickly. On one level, we sang it just before I came up to preach. May I never lose the wonder. May I never lose the wonder. The wonder of your mercy. May I see it like the first time standing as a sinner lost. Hallelujah. Marvel at his grace and his justice. Marvel at the fact that he saw fit to send his son That Jesus came, I'm come to do the will of the Father. And this was the Father's will, that he would take our place. If you don't know him today, if you don't know him, see this. See this, see what he saw fit to do. In In one sense, you may not feel like that ruin. Actually, I'm okay, thanks. I've got it sorted. But the Bible makes it plain. All have sinned. All have fallen short of his glory. The wages of sin is death. Our fate is to die and face that penalty. But it was fitting for him to send his son to take our place. You can know that freedom. You can know that forgiveness today. Jesus has paid the price. So come to him. One story, well, one, almost, well, one testimony to close. In looking at this, just that whole sense, look at the grace of God. We can justify ourselves and our actions so easily. We can justify our attitudes. I'm saying we, I mean I. But I'm sure it applies to many of us. It's fitting to me. It seems right. Surely I'm justified to do it. Surely you're messing about. I am justified to be frustrated and cross about it. 
Andrew, Anna, they're my kids. Surely I'm justified in it. And then I see this. It was fitting to God to show his grace. It was fitting to God to show his grace. Yes, in every circumstance there can be reason for bringing words of correction or whatever, but actually what are we motivated by? Are we living in his grace and showing his grace? It was fitting. God poured out his grace and love. I want to do the same. I want for all of us that we would do the same, that we would show his grace to each other and to this world. Let's pray.